Welcome everyone to Two Rivers, Two Takes. I'm Daryl. I'm Philip. And we are here to talk about the penultimate episode of season one of The Wheel of Time. Yes, it was very exciting to some extent. Yeah, there were some highs and then there were some uh, CW moments of the week. Yes, more than just one. Yeah, and I think I have to go back on what I said last week about it. Um, not really seeing the Amerlin and Moraine's relationship as romantic, because apparently that's how it was written the entire time, and I was basically the woolhead who just did not see that in the text. It's okay, because I hadn't either. I thought the only reference to some ladies being pillow friends was much later in the series, when there's some sea folk in Carahian, and some minor characters go off and have a little fling. Hmm. So, uh, I mean, I guess that relationship was structured that way the entire time, which is pretty cool. Yeah. That then, um, I think that's where we're benefiting from Robert Jordan's widow and then Sanderson, both being consulting producers on the series where they can help the writers pick on, pick up on those little clues so that we can actually see them on the screen. And because, make it more explicit. Yeah, otherwise it would be what it it wouldn't be anything on the screen. It'd be really hard to pull that off. So right. I'm glad that they're around to be like, no, this is what he intended by writing that. So it could come out and just be what it was meant to be. So that's really cool. I'm glad that they're involved because of that. Yes. And I think we see Less of their touch in this episode, however. Um, this is uh, one of those places that we see in the books, um, but it is shifted. So uh, this is part of the moving puzzle that is the TV show structuring something for TV and not for books. Right. Yeah, and we saw that earlier with Matt and Rand and this mining village. That was sort of the stand-in for all the villages and farms that they stayed at on their way from the Two Rivers to Camelin. And in this case, we get Aldara with Min instead of Berylon much earlier in the book. So that's exciting. And the actress who plays Min, Kay Alexander, does an amazing job. Like, I want to be friends with Min. Yes. Um, it was really cool to see her on the screen and see the manifestation of her powers and see how she can sort of see these auras around people. And also sort of a more realistic interpretation of what that would be like when Maureen says, like, people will be hounding you every single day for all the information. And as the person who sees it, like, you can't control if it's good or bad, or do you gloss over something and then the person ends up in some catastrophe instead of some celebration because of how you interpreted it? So Maureen is going to Min, like, I need you to read these people. And eventually Rand will go back to Min and be like, I need you to read me. And she's like, are you sure? Because what I'm going to say, like, I see what I see, for better or for worse, this is what happens. Yeah. So, so it's a more, it starts out with one plot line and then sort of fractures a little bit towards the end. But at the beginning... You also got a big flashback to the Aiel War, which happened roughly 20 years before the show is taking place. And we have Tigraine, who is currently a Maiden of the Spear, but she wasn't always, which is exciting backstory that I hope we get to eventually. Yeah, I mean, you spoiled some things when we were talking during this episode. And you're like, this is what she was. And I was like, oh, oh, I didn't even get through that in my halfway read of this series before, so... Um, Not gonna lie, some of the stuff in the middle books tends to blur together, so... So, um, and we don't really know who the Aiel are. This is our first glimpse of them... Alive. Yes, and not Rand, basically. And not some dude in the cage. True. Being pilfered. Yes, some corpse. So, uh, we get the shot, and she's amazing... I really like how they interpret the the veil and the shufa aspect where they will never kill you if you can see their face. Um, 
and the spears being shorter and more combat ready, like more jabby. Yeah, and you hold on to them during the entire thing rather than you throw it away and then what do you, what are you left with? Yeah. So that also, cool. how she was giving birth the entire time, like she's in labor. Yeah. Yeah. And we start with that, we go to the intro, and then we get to the wave. Which again, I probably shouldn't harp on this, but it's the one thing that I wish they had done differently. Not needing someone to channel in order to open them. And how they were a gift from the male Aesodai to the Ogier. So the Ogier were the ones who used them and could open them and travel until Meshin Shin made it unsafe. And we get some of that in Loyal's description. He talks about it being the paths being burdened with soft grass and there being fruit trees that thrive on the islands. And in a few shots with the lightning, you can sort of see the bridges and the islands in the background, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. But they also did a really good job with the lightning itself. Like, it doesn't really illuminate a whole lot. Like, the darkness just sort of presses in. So, I was pleased with how they kept that part of the lore. So, they're there. People are upset. Egwene points out that Matt left them. Which, yeah, of true. Yeah, like, he did. He pieced out. And, um... All the things going around right now, we know, of course, that Matt was recast for season two, and uh, people are like, is this the last that we've seen of Matt in the season? And it might have been. Um, And it... It It sort of weakens the whole thing where, like, all five need to be there together for... Going into... over evil. Yeah. And so that's a little bit unfortunate, one of our friends had said that the first six episodes were cast before COVID, and then after... is when Or they, they were filmed before COVID. Yes. And yes. then the final two happened after the recast, after COVID, and Courtney Harris was not there for that. So I don't know how true that or accurate that is. Yeah. But it's sort of fitting if he's not in this or the next episode. Yeah. And uh, um, the production itself did say that the last thing that they filmed before the COVID shutdown was the Amerlin meeting with Nynaeve and Egwene in the her chambers. So Yeah. So we get them in the ways Nynaeve is oddly less into revenge as she is in the books. She's like, I'm gonna stick it to Moraine. I'm gonna stick it to these ASDI who have upended our lives and ruined everything. And here she's just like it's okay, we'll find him. And it's and a choice for a character. I would have thought that her interest in sort of digging into the ASDI and learning everything that she can in order to get some manner of revenge on them. And then eventually come to the realization that, oh, maybe they were right. Maybe revenge is not good for me to hold on to. Um, I thought that would have been interesting she sort of goes in between like trying to, to lead them, trying to be their friend, having to do both. Yeah, like having very stern, angry moments and then having very soft moments with various people, Karen or Lan. Yeah, like she's nurturing and trying to take care of them and uh, these very harsh moments where I think she's just trying to also take care of them, but she doesn't quite know how to strike that balance. I don't know, maybe it's just that I want more backstory for her to get that full... I'm seeing these sort of pendulum extremes, and with the full character, it may not seem so funky. Yeah. And they also, going back to a conversation we had in one of the earlier episodes, where um, she, when we reveal that she is still alive, and she's like... Where are my friends? So it's yeah. a slightly different relationship that show Nynaeve has to everyone versus book. Right. So uh, this is more a group of friends, and one of them just happens to have more responsibility. Yeah. Rather than where are my people. Yes. Um, we have these moments with her. <laughs> Lan is less than helpful when he's like, 
Matt's safer back there, when he's, where he's not, he wouldn't be safe with us because we are in a super dangerous situation. It's just like, oh, gee, thanks. That makes me feel so much better. Yeah, and this goes to sort of them shifting things around, where at this point as a book reader, I don't know what they're doing with Matt's character at all. I don't know how they are going to get him back into the storyline because in the books, he's really not off solo like this. Um, For a while. Yeah, so... I don't know what they're doing with that character and how they are moving him around right now. I have hopes, but I'm just a silly fan. I'm not a showrunner, so I don't know how they will end up doing it. I would hope that when later in the episode, Maureen goes through Amelisa, Lady Amelisa, um, to send a message to the Red Aja to go pick up Matt. At that point, she doesn't know who the dragon is. And after drawing out the darkness from the dagger, she's like, oh, there's an inherent darkness in him. Like, I would not trust him to face the Dark One and not join sides. So, which sort of, like, undercuts Matt's character, like, at the knees. Yeah. Instead of him being like maybe not as stalwart as Perrin, but like clearly all in on the side of the light. Mm-hmm. It introduces this sort of he he could go either way. I don't know. I don't trust him to do any sort of interactions with any shadow spawn or anything. Um, so that part is a little bit rough for him. But I would like it if, as is revealed in the episode, he is not the dragon that instead she sends a message to Alana. Or Varen. Still waiting for Varen. There are three major Aes Sedai that we haven't seen yet, and she's one of them, and I cannot wait. <laughs> and the ways itself, so they get out of it fairly shortly. They um, are, they see a guiding post. Varen sees the guiding, and everyone's like, how could you see that? It's so dark. Oh, yeah, it's not the Christian magazine guideposts. It is, in the fact, guiding. the guiding. Um, and it's been vandalized. They don't know who could possibly have been in the ways. And the way that Loyal references it, like, that an Ogier would never do that, it, that makes it seem as if Ogier are going into the ways independently. They have that ability to go in, mm-hmm. and it doesn't require channeling. So that's closer to what I had envisioned and hoped for the ways, rather than an ASDI needing to channel to open a portal. Right. So they're there, he has to like piece it back together, basically, so they rest a bit. And Egwene and Rand have a moment, and then a trollop comes out in the darkness. And in a very short amount of time, you get a bunch of information, like, trollops are in the ways. Someone has let them in, they were the ones who vandalized the guiding, and that's how they got to the two rivers. They went to the Menetherin gate. Yes. Because when they were created, the gates were outside settings, and also before the corruption of the wage, they connected the great groves, and Menetherin would have had a great grove. Yes. Trees. Yep. Ogier love their trees. So yeah, and it's sort of an odd info dump before they start running off and getting to the gate and being pursued by the Black Wind, Match and Shin. Yeah, which they said that you can't channel. So up front, that was a piece of information that we got right when they entered the ways, is that channeling would bring on Mac and Shin. And which I guess is a good way to keep Matt separate and like or to say that we can't go back for him, because if we open the gate Match and Shin will come, and then we, the ways become impassable to us because it'll just be sitting there waiting for us. Right. So they run, Match and Shin catches them, and Moraine does the ASI thing, channels under great pressure, but it takes a while. Mm-hmm. So the effect that Match and Shin has, like in the books, it both eats your soul and your body. Like it's sort of eats away at you like acid rain almost. Like that's how the rock is pitted. Yeah. But in this case, it's the voices and it's more of a soul eater than a flesh eater. 
So they all hear different things that undercuts their confidence and their identity. And um, when it goes after Nynaeve, mistake number one, and starts telling her, like, you can't protect them. They're going to fall away one by one. You're useless, blah, blah, blah. You're going to lose them just like your parents. She gets pissed. Yeah. And, and one of the things that the show hasn't addressed is that Nynaeve has a block. She can't channel under most circumstances. Unless she's real angry. Yeah. And she was real angry at that moment. Yeah. And did her sort of expansive channeling. Yeah. She creates this sort of bubble shield around them. Which points. The inner... So, nerd alert moment for me. When I envision having these powers, a lot of it has to do with shields. Because of Star Trek. Hmm. And the Kolbamite reflector ability that Kirk references in the original series where everything just sort of bounces back at the people. Mm. So I really appreciate that she did a shield around everyone and then Mash and Shin just bounced off. Yeah. Like hail on a roof. Yeah, just kept pinging. Yeah, that was really cool. It was. Um, so they get out, they get to Faldara. Very arid, like, beautiful. Mm-hmm. But whenever they have a large city in a desert, like a very arid region like this, I always wonder, like, how do they eat? Mm. Is it just an outpost? And does all their food need to be imported from the rest of Shinar? Like, does yeah. the south just grow everything to send up to the north to the forts? Yeah, there? maybe. I mean, we do see a lot of uh, traders going in at the same time that they're going into the city. With packs on their back and their wagons and things like that. Um, this is like a literal corner. Like, you yeah. can't go farther north because that's the blight. You can't go farther east because that's the spine of the world. Like, it's just sort of penned in. Mm-hmm. So I, I, my idle question is, how do these cities survive? Yeah. But it's been there for a thousand years, guarding Tarwin's Gap, beyond which lies the blight. Yeah. And in the books, Faldara... Um, it is a city, and the, but there are farms and everything leading up to it. They've cut everything for like a mile or two going outside the city, so they have clear sight lines of enemies coming. Right. But there are still farms and woods and things like that. So it's not as lush as other parts of the world, but it can still sustain vegetation. Yes, and all across the borderlands, they reference arms being not that far away from the fortresses Mm -hmm. or at least watchtowers that go all along the length of the blight to watch for trollic invasions and things like that Mm -hmm. and at night when we do get a night shot you can see sort of the lights from the guards at Tarwin's Gap Mm -hmm. so that was cool they get there they meet some of the guards. We get Ingtar. We get Uno, who doesn't swear as much as I was expecting. <laughs> um, and everyone is very deferential to Lan, which yes. we will discover why later. And we meet the court. We get Lord Egelmar. We get Lady Amalisa. Egelmar is real crabby. Yeah, Surprisingly he is. so. Yeah, and he's real rude. And you can see it on Moraine's face that she's like, can I... They finish my sentence, and she actually says that. She's like, if you'll allow me to finish. Yes. Because he went on some diatribe about, oh, well, I guess my sister wrote the tower that I can't control things here, but don't you worry, I can control things. And she's like, I'm not here to help you. Yeah. It's this weird situation where he's like, I don't need an advisor. The border, he references later, the Borderlands have always had a strong alliance with the White Tower, presumably because I imagine Greens would go up often to fight Trollocs. Like, mm. the Borderlands recognize the inherent worth of having someone who can channel. His crabbiness, that's why his crabbiness to me was so surprising. And the resistance to having a, an a, who's an Aesidae. Granted, in the books, it's referenced that most kingdoms have shadow advisors who are not out in the open. So, Aesidae advisors. Yes. 
the notable exceptions being Eleda in Andor, who is the second of the three remaining Aesodai with major plot points, um, who comes later, and Barelane, the first of Mayin, which is in the far, far south, tiny country, always on the verge of being invaded by Terra, but somehow stays away from it. So, yes. And we see the Lady Amelisa's powers. We learn that she had gone to the tower for training. Yes. She and, can do enough to light candles. Yes. At least. And she has the ring, which means that she wasn't accepted, but there's no stone in it. So I think that's the show signifier that if you have a stone in your ring, then you're a full sister. Yeah. If not, then you didn't make it quite far enough. Right. Although, do you get the ring as a novice? Oh, you do get it as a novice, yeah, and then you switch the finger. It goes on as an accepted. Yes, and you get the colored bands on the hems of your outfit. Yes. So, and and we still don't fully know from the show if those sleeveless outfits with the bands going up the arms signified accepted versus novice. Yeah. But anyway, it was cool that they gave her more oomph than the character in the books. Things sort of get done to her in the books. Rather, yeah, this she, character, she's has much more agency, it seems. Yeah, like, she was basically blackmailed into doing things in the books. Or compelled. Yeah. With a capital C. Compulsion is one of those things that Ace and I could never do. It is on the banned list. Yes. Of weaves. So we meet them, they go off. Eventually, Egomar welcomes them in, and... Uh, yeah, basically, as soon as Maureen is like, I'm not here to do anything for you, and he's like, welcome! Come on in! All right! Yeah. And this is where, um, shortly after when Amelisa is showing Maureen to her chambers, that's when we learn about the training at the tower, and we also learn that Maureen is going to send the Reds after Max. Which so, is sort of a shocking thing. Right? Yeah. Especially because the Reds are not kind to men with unknown powers. And it's interesting that she doesn't send the message to the Amarlin for the Amarlin to decide what to do. Because typically that's her call to dispatch a band of Reds to go after someone. Especially if it's official business of the tower and it's within Tar Valon, which I would we imagine Matt would be going back to since mm-hmm. he didn't join them, that she wouldn't send it through the blues. Like I don't know why she thinks the reds are more trustworthy. Yeah. I can sort of see it if Maureen thinks that Matt really could be the dragon and is like, no, there's too much darkness. That incident with the dagger showed me that he cannot be allowed to face the Dark One, because he will change sides. Right. And the only way to prevent that from happening, then, is to have him gentled. Yeah. So, yeah, Matt's fate is still unknown, and why is she sending Reds? We get a glimpse of Padden Fane. Yeah. Coming out of the way gate on his own. He just strolls out and... um, And walks through the city, because when the... this group is walking through Perrin is like, oh, I think I just saw Pat and Fane. And I mean, he's like, no, he dead. Yeah. He, he real dead. His cart burned to ashes. So. Um, yeah, and, and I, we had I, even missed him showing up in the Tarvalon episode, too, where he's looking at Matt and Rand very closely. Yeah, we're going to have to get some sort of payoff for that character in the last episode of this season. Um, I don't think... It would make sense to leave that thread hanging unanswered in some regard. Uh, they could. I wonder if they could weave it into a cliffhanger because his book payoff comes at the beginning of the second book. Yes. Where we get more info. Yes. But yes, as the, I try not, as I try not the to information things. comes out, but the character continues doing things. He's still active even after that reveal. Yeah. So um, I think we're going to need. Something more than just, oh, I think I passed him in the street for this season. It doesn't make sense to me, storytelling-wise, why wow. they would 
drag that character all the way up to not do anything in the finale. That's true. Lan even references that they're being followed, like he can sense that Padden is pain is after them, but just has no idea who it is or what it is. Also because of the dark of the ways. Yeah. And they end up at an inn where we meet Min. And Min is the Carla from Cheers of this series, and I'm here for it. She doesn't take any shit from anyone. No, like... Not even Maureen. No, she she and Moraine sort of go back and forth, and she's like, oh, the big one. And Moraine's like, they're both big. Which one? And (laughs) the big brooding one. They're both big, and they both brood. Like... (laughs) Yeah, that I thought was. It becomes more clear that Marina is sort of at the end of her rope, patience wise, mm-hmm. in some respects. And this was a nice way to be like, I get it. Moving on. Be specific. Yeah. And <laughs> I the don't th- have time for this. And the things that men reveal, um, we see the parent one. We've seen the parent one. We know that his eyes turn gold. His wolf brotherness is emerging. Yep. And. Um, we know that what Min sees can't be literal all the time either. So she sees blood on, like, dripping from his chin. That could represent a lot of things. It doesn't mean that he's bitten someone. It could just mean violence. It could mean him... It's Teen Wolf. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then Rand with a baby. That part I don't quite get. No, and, um... Even when Moraine's like, what does the baby look like? And Min's like, a, a, like a baby? I, I don't know. I get the sense that Min feels about babies the way that I feel about babies. <laughs> <laughs> it's a small human. Yeah. Um, and But then Nynaeve and Egwene get lumped together. They, they s- do, and, it, and it's stuff we already know. It they is. see the white flame and a gold ring. Yep. They don't mention what kind of gold ring. Like... Not to spoil things, but there are possibilities, which makes sense for these characters. So that it's sort of open. Is it a great serpent ring? Is it something else with a different meaning? Yeah. That part is sort of left open, and it's not specific as to which one. So. And she also give, she reads Moraine uh, to filth, and <laughs> the, the reading is that she sees the Amerlin in full regalia, and... It will be Moraine that the Amerlin is Moraine's downfall, which goes back to something that I've been talking about in last episode. It's not tied to a person. It's tied to a position. Right. We don't know what Amerlin she saw. The title and the throne have the same name, which Moraine mentions in my favorite episode still, episode six. So uh, we don't get a whole lot to work off of there. And... The biggest thing I think we see is that there's darkness, but there are little sparks trying to keep the darkness at bay. And this is one of the pieces from the book, like those little details that translate really well, and they did a nice job. I, In the books, Min does make an explicit connection between them, that when they're together, the sparks are stronger and are doing a better job of repelling the shadow versus if it's just one... Like, it's more of a standstill, essentially. Mm-hmm. But when they're together, they have a better chance of defeating it, which is sort of the that three-legged stool in the books, or in this case, five, where they all need to be doing something to make sure that the good guys win, basically. Yeah. So that was cool. I did like that those were a part of it. So we get them back in the fortress, they're chatting. Everyone seems to be running low on patience. Mm-hmm. They're like, which one's a dragon? Maureen's like, I don't know. And, but what I do know is that whoever's not the dragon is going to die at the eye of the world. Rush between these two forces. <laughs> Surprise! And maybe the part that she's out of patience is because she knows that she would also be ground to dust between mm-hmm. these two forces of nature, Perhaps. as she describes it. So she knows, like, it's not even going to end well for her. But, so, and she's also pretty upfront. She doesn't know which one of them is the dragon. Mm-hmm. She was hoping that Min would tell, but that was less than helpful. Yes. That's like Lan saying, Matt is a whole lot safer than if were he with us. Yeah. 
And the group sort of fractures a little. They sort of press Moraine, so she says, like, we're leaving at dawn. Bye. Decide. Yeah. If you're coming with or not. And I still like Egwene's character. She seems to be the most pragmatic one, Mm -hmm. which I appreciate in life. And the fact that she's like, this makes sense. Like, this is... We, We set out to save our people. And if saving our people means that three of us need to sacrifice ourselves, that's sort of what we signed up for. Well, not so much the three having to sacrifice. It's the chance that one of them is the dragon who can defeat the Dark mm. One. Like I took that differently. Yeah, I took it as maybe it's the glass half full way of like, if one of us is a dragon, we don't know who, then we all need to be there so that whoever is a dragon can win regardless of what happens to the others. And Perrin, points for Perrin, he was giving sort of the sort of hopefulness that the Amaralyn was. She's like, we don't know that they're going to die if they go to the eye and they're not the dragon. We don't know that for sure. Mm -hmm. And he's like, we don't. So I appreciated that. The drama sort of worked, sort of not. Yeah, and here's the thing that I think is my... There are several CW moments of the week. Um, Do you want to describe what you mean by a CW moment? Yeah, it's just um, needless melodrama injected into a story. And most often with the CW here in the States is that um, it's very much romantically centered. Some very attractive people doing very attractive things. Yes. um, Very nice clothes. Yes, so like, think Riverdale and Gossip Girl, and things like that. Um, And the the standout one for me is that there's this underlying subtext that Perrin also has a thing for Egwene, or had, um, because that's the doubt he was confronted with by Mac and Shin, is that you have loved another more, or you still love another more, it's brought up in this conversation. Randa's like, you only proposed to Layla af- the day after Egwene and I got together. Yeah. It's very... I. This is a love triangle that's really unnecessary. It's drama in the group where I think we have enough tension and storytelling capability within all of them. So you think they could have created those fractures without having that romantic triangle situation? They could have uh, really gone after him and been like, Karen, what's going on with you? Like, you've changed. There's something going on. You're not telling us. That, yeah. that could serve the same sort of purpose that they need in no, the scene. That's true. And it would put Egwene in a really awkward position because she knows yes. what happened. But she wouldn't want to reveal that. And she still wants to be supportive of Heron. Yep. That is a good point. Yeah, so... Um, then everyone breaks off for the evening. Nynaeve is stocks, Lan. Um, it's not tracking. Because they're in a city. <laughs> yep. So she stocks Lan. He goes to, are, are these people that are from his former kingdom, I think? Yes, because when she asks him why everyone keeps calling him Daishan, that, um... The paternal figure in that family was a guardsman in his family's court who smuggled land out of Malkir the night that his family died that the blight took Malkir. Okay. So this guy basically raised Lan. So Lan goes to their house. They share a meal. He somehow sneaks out as Nynaeve is peering in through the window. Yeah. And confronts her and is like, how you been? <laughs> she comes in. They have a nice moment. Apparently, Lan is good with kids, but to be fair, he he shares his secret of success, bribing them with presents. Yes. So they have this nice moment with the Malkiri family, and we get some of that backstory. We get Daniel Henny looking very nice. Yes. As he undresses and Nynaeve walks into his room. And she's like, do you want me to leave? Oh, so CW moment. Yes, yes. Um, They spend the night together. We see Rand not really good at archery, which is puzzling because he's been shooting arrows his entire life. 
and it's a big deal that if two rivers archers are the best archers but yeah so and it's sort of like choppy the way that things go there's an Avon land and then we hop to rand and then we go back to nine Avon land yeah and then we go back to rand and then a grain it's like i've been waiting for an hour for you to come and you haven't so here i am and he's like, well, I know better than to seek you out while you're so mad. Yeah. You usually come find me when you're willing to talk. Which, like, bro, yeah, you need to hold up your end of this relationship and not rely on other people to do it all for you. Yeah. And uh, they uh, then pair off and uh, they uh, do the damn thing themselves. They have their own CW moment. Yeah, it's... Last episode... I think I spoke about how they would need to do a lot of setup for the... Like, the last episode we know is going to be action-packed. Right. So this is really, I think, their last episode to have emotional moments and beats for the characters. And they really packed it in for almost every single character, even Moraine and Lan. Because she and he have a talk about how she feels that... Oh, that she took everything from him. Yes, and she held him back from living a normal life. And and he's like, I had nothing before. Like, no purpose, no mission. Like, Malkir is gone dead and blighted and dust, basically. The Seven Towers are broken. Yes. There's uh, nothing. So we're all... All of the characters are getting these moments where they're sort of tacking on the last bit of emotional baggage that they can carry for this season when you put it that way i guess that changes how i feel about it so i'm much more information based so i was like why are they dealing with these relationships like they don't seem as important as getting all the details and information sharing about what's happening in the world and what's happening with their plight when you put it like that like they're loading up the baggage for yeah. the final episode. Like, oh, I guess that makes sense. I just don't necessarily like the, the CW moment. I feel like... Yeah, the romance stuff, It it's our last chance to invest in these characters emotionally before the finale. Yeah, and I, just, I think I like heart-to-hearts that are more intense discussion-based rather than romance-based. Mm. Not that kind of. So then Rand can't sleep. He gets all these flashes. He sort of puts things together with what Tam was saying in his frolic poison fever dream when he was trying to get Tam into town to get healed, where he's talking about how he found Rand on the mountainside. It was so cold. He couldn't just leave a baby there. And these parts where Rand could have channeled he's sort of putting these pieces together for himself Mm -hmm. and he breaks down the door that in back in episode three yeah where the innkeeper is like the dark fiend is like the dark friend as you say dark fiend it just sounds better for (laughs) an evil person to be a dark fiend and he channels to break down the door which otherwise three people would have been needed to break down and was it him? Was it Egwene who channeled to defend themselves from the Trolloc in the ways? R.I.P. Trolloc. Yeah. Falling for forever. If he's lucky. Yeah. It is lucky. And he's like, it's me. He... Yeah, knocks. so we get, we get dramatic moments where there are many door knockings, and you don't know who's knocking on what door. It is fun that Egwene gets to Nynaeve's room before Nynaeve gets back to it. And she's like, oh, where have you been? <laughs> what have you been up to? It looks like your bed hasn't been slept in. This immaculately made bed. <laughs> <laughs> and Perrin comes in and they talk about their decisions. And it's that's sort of the transition from comedy to the more serious side. And Rand walks up to a door and knocks. And when Nynaeve opens it, it's Lan and not him. And they're like, where's Rand? And the door that Rand knocked on is opened by Moraine, and he's like, it's me. And Lan is like, they left. So we've got Moraine and Rand entering the Blight on their own. 
And theoretically, back in Faldara, Lan, Nynaeve, Egwene, and Perrin are scrambling and be like, we, I don't know. We need to catch up. And they're not that... The thing that is hard to judge at this moment in the episode is the timing. That's true. Like, the, the magic that they did with the door-knocking thing. We don't know how far a lead Maureen has. And in episode six, we know that she can also mask the bond that she has with her and Lan. So theoretically, the only way that she can sneak off without him knowing is if she's masked this bond. Mm -hmm. And maybe that was the point of having the conversation with him before of, like, I feel bad about this. Like, if I mask the bond, that gives you a little bit more privacy. And privacy, because they do touch on Nynaeve. That's true. So she might have done it at that point to be like, no, I know you have interest in her. I'm masking the bond tonight. Like, and, and do we know what you from will. the books from a different set that it's uncomfortable for one person in the bond when the other person is having relations. Yes, or any feelings. That's true. So, yeah, the timing's funky. We don't know when the discovery is made that they're gone. Yeah. And they enter the Blight, which is like this weird topiary situation of just mounds of creepy vines. Yeah. It's not... Not to sound like one of those fans. It's not quite what I imagine. Like, I'm still happy with it. Mm -hmm. it yeah, we see a skeleton right off the bat. Sort of... Woven in, yeah. In. Like, the, the plant has... Enveloped. Yes. Yeah. So that's cool. Um, it's not quite as diseased and yucky looking. Like, it's as if the plants are supposed to be this way, mm -hmm. rather than plants that are trying to be healthy and do things, but they're just so diseased. One could say blighted, even. <laughs> um, but it's a good visual. Like, it's neat that how they constructed it, and it's very clear that there's a line. So the people of Faldara can keep an eye on the blight, make sure it doesn't encroach any more into their country. Mm -hmm. And then it stays on the other side of the gap. Yep. So. And that's where we really end the episode. Yeah. I only had one page of notes today instead <laughs> of two. <laughs> so it it's very interesting to think of where we're going. We know that we're ending this season at this point with the battle at the eye of the world, whoever is involved with that, that's going to be our big moment. And is it, does it conclude with the battle? Does it start with the battle? Like we don't know where they're going to cut the yeah. next episode off, how much of a conclusion they're going to give us or how much of a cliffhanger they're going to give us. And I, they, I'm still excited for the possibility that the eye of the world is as it was in the books, where it, like an oasis of healthy plants, where it sort of moves based on the need of the person looking for it, and you can never go back to it twice. And there's a green man there who's there to take care of it all. And it's not, in fact, the Dark One's prison. So I'm hoping that as far as they know, it's a Dark One's prison because they don't know any better. Mm -hmm. they, they only know of the reference to it and not what it actually is. Right. Because I can't imagine there's a whole lot of people going to it if they think it's a Dark One's prison. Right. So who knows? Yeah, so we'll find out. Uh, I fully expect the episode to be over an hour, just like this one was. Yes. I hope so. Yeah. There's a lot to pack into it. There is. And... We're going to see where the characters end up. And speaking of ending up, so let's talk about our next few weeks as a podcast, because we know that next week we're going to be breaking down the season finale, and we are going to have additional Wheel of Time episodes focused on the special features that Amazon has produced for this season that you can access through their X-Ray thingy. Function. Yes. Um, which... Some people can get, some people it's really hard depending on what device. Like, I, it confounded me on some devices. Um, and was easy on others? It's very easy on tablets. It is hard depending on the TV. So I have an Amazon app for my TV where you can't access it, but I have a Fire Stick on another TV where you can. So 
Um, we are going to access all those special features and break them down in an episode because I think that's going to give us more background to talk about and share with all of you. And, and I love the background and yeah. all the information and all the fun facts. So that's going to be one episode. And I think another Wheel of Time episode is just going to be talking about the rumors for season two and what we predict without giving a whole lot of spoilers. So if there will be spoilers for that, we will give a spoiler warning. So I'll try to be good. Um, and then uh, we're having so much fun and we know that the second season of Wheel of Time isn't coming along for a while. We know they're filming it, which gives me hope because they finished filming this season, I think, earlier this year. Um, so they did a whole lot of work in a short amount of time to get this first season out. And I'm hoping that the second season is similarly speedy in terms of creation. That would um, be nice. So I, I'm hoping we get the second season of Wheel of Time somewhere in 2022. But in the meantime... We are nerds, and we subject one another to different TV series all the time. And there's so much content coming out. There are tons of Marvel shows, Star Wars shows. There's the Lord of the Rings show. The sixth season of The Expanse is out. Yes, and I haven't seen the previous five. So um, I don't know if we're going to do a deep dive on six seasons of The Expanse in a row, but... Um, our next project is going to be the Book of Boba Fett. So start telling your Star Wars friends, and hopefully you're a Star Wars fan yourself, um, because I am going to be the one in the expert chair for that season. So I've loved Star Wars since I was a little kid. Um, I grew up in the 90s when there was just this boom of Star Wars stuff before the prequels. And Philip, you... You asked me the other day who Boba Fett was. It's true. I can't keep track of them. I There are people who love both Star Trek and Star Wars, and I landed almost entirely within the Star Trek realm. Like okay. The exploration is more fun than the local machination gunfight things that happen. And we're going to shiny ships. And we're going to dive into that, because you yeah. just threw out a lot of things. Um, uh, so... Um, and I'm a fan of both franchises, so I never chose. I was on board with Star Trek and Star Wars. Um, but I think it's going to be really fun digging into this brand new series that's coming out on Disney+. Plus, and we're just going to keep rolling it forward as different things come out throughout the year so that you can hear our two takes on everything. So hopefully you'll stick around. Um... And keep checking the feed, so if you're here just for Wheel of Time content, of course we're going to return to that. And there will be a few episodes where we're overlapping with the Book of Boba Fett. Um, and content-wise, we'll be adding other things in. Like we did sort of like with the world-building episode. Because there's so much, and it's so amazing, and I love talking about it, Yeah, basically. <laughs> so we're still going to be here, and we want you all to still be here, too. We want to know what your comments are, what your thoughts and feelings are in this episode. Are you like me and you're just like, what is this emotional baggage? Why is it taking up time? Or if you're like, oh, that really ups the stakes. If you found any woolhead moments or counterstrokes to a woolhead moment. Yeah, because my woolhead moment of the week is probably, I would say Rand. Um, he's really trying hard to discover who he is. He came to that decision that it's me based off of the rumblings he heard in the ways, partly, and then some half-remembered things um, and some very self-centered thoughts about himself yes. and how important he thinks he is because he remembered a mountain from being a newborn. So it that's not the way the memory works, but... Um, he's my wool head of the week because of that sort of um, garbage. And even when Luce Theron basically created Dragon Mount by drawing so much of the power in on himself, it created a volcano. He wouldn't remember that. Luce Theron would have been kaput by the time the volcano was done. Yeah. Rising, spewing. Yeah, the previous dragon being reborn as one of these five, like that memory would not exist. Right. Through the ages. Exactly. So, 
my wallhead moment might be Moraine actually going off into the blight without her warder. The part of Min's reading of the pattern where all four of them were giving off sparks that were fending off shadows, that should have been a sign that they belong together. Mm -hmm. And she is so convinced that whoever's not the dragon will die at the eye that even when the Amarillon was like, we don't know that for sure, that she was still so convinced of it. And she said it, and she can't lie yeah. that the rest of them will die. So, like, having a little bit more faith in what will happen, bringing your warder. Yeah, it was very out of character for her to just she slip out. strange. Yeah. I don't know, maybe she did already find a way to pass off the bond with Lan to someone else, should she die? Maybe. That would also explain why they went so deep into Kareni and Stefan's bond and what happens mm. with an unbonded warder after his ASSI dies. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a very odd character moment for Moraine. Yeah, it can work under certain circumstances. But disregarding Min's vision of the sparks and what that would mean sort of seems unhelpful. Yeah. All right. So everyone rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff when it comes to a podcast. Um, we want to hear from you, like Philip said. So make sure to hit us up on Instagram at Two Rivers Two Takes. And we will see you back here. And it's T-W-O, not the number two in oh. our handle. Good point. Because I don't know how to work Instagram. <laughs> so, so definitely spell out that numeral. Um, and we will catch you back here next week with Two Rivers Two Takes. Bye. Bye.